You are listening to the sassiest podcast in the world. Born in the Nordics, democratizing B2B SaaS knowledge everywhere. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products. Join us on our journey as we speak to SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. And today's guest is Wes Bush, the CEO at ProductLed. Just copy what your competition did for whatever they're giving away for free. So if they're giving away a 14-day free trial, do 15. Hi there, and welcome back to the Sassiest Podcast. I hope you are well today and that you are excited about PLG and product-led motions and organizations. We have an expert with us today that actually is also coming to Sassiest 2024 in Malmö, April 15th through 17th. And uh, you can head over to sassiest2024.com if you want to read more about that event. So Daniel, anything you want to add before we get right into the interview? I just want to add, in addition to what you just said, there's of course plenty of opportunities for you guys to interact with us. A uh, really good way is the executive and the CEO network. So again, we've been pushing for these quite a bit. We have a lot of new members. We're starting the groups again in February. But to simplify again, if you're an executive, a VP level or higher of a company with 2 million euros in ARR or more, in any of the nine disciplines that Thomas usually rambles <laughs> here, you can sign up via the website. So sassius.com, you go to the community tab and there's a, an executive network. It's actually free. Yes, it's free of charge. And the reason why you want to join that is because there's no better way to learn than to sit with other VPs, other people that own and run the same function and discipline that you do and are basically in the sticks together with you. They're, they're having the same problems. They're having the same opportunities challenge each other help each other it's a great opportunity to learn from each other that is really what i wanted to say but i think with that we're ready to dig into the plg topic here with wes right yeah let's go Today, we are super happy to have Wes Bush here as a guest in the Sassiest Podcast. So welcome, Wes. How are you? I'm doing great. Feeling sassy. Ready for this talk. Oh, <laughs> I like that. You you come prepared. We like that. Did you bring your joke book, Daniel, with all your sassy jokes? I'm working on it. You know what? It, it's great that you mentioned that here. So um, for everyone listening, before we dig into a fantastic topic with Wes here, for everybody listening, I'm working on a sassy funny book <laughs> so if you think you're funny and you've got some good jokes hit me up hit me up. it's it's gonna be like it's a passion project that's gonna go viral but anyway be, be, enough about that so wes welcome to the show if there's somebody that doesn't know you tell us who's wes well uh for people that do know me they would just describe it like oh wes is the like plg pioneer that plg if you think of plg that's me um i'm just super obsessed about all things product-led growth, how to do it, how to implement your business. I've written uh, a book on product-led growth. I've just done amazingly well. 500,000 people have read it, which is crazy. Um, and I'm writing my next book on how to actually scale up your product-led business. So that's just a little of my context. I spend my days helping product-led businesses scale. All right. But how did you get into PLG? Yeah. So with sales-led companies. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but did you used to work for a sales-led company that just, you know, okay, let's try this new thing or Absolutely. what happened? Yeah. So it was about eight years ago. I was working at a company called Vidyard. Uh, so video marketing analytics tool. 
And yeah, they were all sales that they're going really fast. They're like 50 employees when I joined and like by the end of the year, they're at like 120. But like during that process of like hyperscale, we were just like, how do we, you know, accelerate this? I was in charge of demand generation and getting leads for their sales team. And I just remember I was spending like hundreds of thousands of dollars promoting guides and white papers. And I, I was just talking to like the sales team all the time. And I was like, hey, uh, like, how are those leads? Like, you know, I just found like 30K on that one. Uh, I don't know. And they're like, yeah, they didn't really want to talk to us. I was like, I'm not surprised, but uh, <laughs> is this the best way to, to scale a like, SaaS business these days? And that's what everybody was doing. It was all marketing-led uh, kind of constant approach. So that was kind of interesting. And then luckily, we launched a uh, free trial. We're like, okay, let's try this out. The first version bombed. Okay. <laughs> the only thing the sales team was talking about was like cannibalization. Like this thing is like killing us. Uh, we, we need to like scrap this. We need to hide this CTA because like more people are choosing the free trial option, which is an interesting insight, right. but uh, it was not converting for anything. So that was very interesting. And, uh, luckily, you know, six months after that, we actually tried something else, which is a freemium model, uh, made it super easy within a few clicks. You could record a video, see who watched it. Um, uh, that actually worked and that got like 100,000 plus people first 12 months. And that was kind of my like PLG come to Jesus moment <laughs> where I was like, Oh, there's the way here where it's like, I don't have to spend hundreds of thousand dollars like promoting a white paper that people probably don't want. Um, I could just give them a product that actually served a meaningful need. Um, uh, and they would do the promotion for me. They would help other people find out about it. Uh, and I was like, yeah, a business that leans into that approach is unstoppable versus the one that's just pay to play, uh, with your white papers. Right. So right. yeah, that, that's how I fell into it. Yeah. And actually th this is, uh, the main topic of today, we wanted to dig into this with you because I think nobody has been able to miss the PLG trend. You know, like, you know, customers want to give it a try. They want to test. They want to buy on their own to the extent possible. They want to interact with the, with the product and so on. So we've seen a lot of, you know, if I may say it, traditionally sales-led and marketing-led companies either add a PLG motion or go full-on PLG but fail brutally fail like you know seemingly successful companies historically then they make this change and it just doesn't go at all as they envision it like we wanted to ask you why is this yeah so like over the last seven years i've been able to kind of consult and help like hundreds of plus companies so i've seen like a lot of failure and even at my own hands of like clients that they signed up and i was like huh like why did this company not successfully roll it out versus like this other one why did they kind of go through it and so that's actually what kind of sparked off writing this book it's like i wanted to like research it dig into it uh find like what are some of those patterns and what i i kind of came up with uh is very similar to when you think of like websites there's like your website has a front end right there is what you see what you click around with pretty straightforward. Now, if I make that website in HTML, it's like, it's not that powerful. Uh, you can't really do much with it. What's missing is the back end. You need a strong back end uh, to, to kind of scale up and, you know, go to enterprise scale and all that fun stuff. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to PLG and how do people operationalize that, a lot of people are just obsessed about that front end. They see that free trial, they see that freemium model, and they just like, whoa, this is it. Uh, I want that like adopt that front end piece of PLG. Right. So they they go through the motions, they they start with their offer, like, oh yeah, we're launching that free trial pretty quick. 
great. And then they think maybe a little bit about onboarding, but like if they didn't really do it well, great job there. People can't get to value. And then when people can't get to value, it just doesn't work. So what I've found is people obsess about the front ends, but they forget there's a back end to this whole thing. So you say you underestimate it. So, so basically you say this will take longer time. It will be more expensive. It will be more complex. Yeah. Do we want to scare people away here? <laughs> Don't do it. Yeah, well, I think like just know what you're getting into. Yeah. So there's three definitions we got to unpack here to kind of understand the why behind it. PLG, that's like your go-to market motion. That is what uh, happens when you use your product to acquire, engage, monetize users. That's all fine and dandy. But then the second piece, the back end, that is your product-led organization. So that's everything else. That's all the processes, the systems behind the scenes that powers it. And so you got to have those things before. And so in my book, I kind of have like this Venn diagram where it's like, there's these two pieces, front end, back end, and in the middle, what where there's the overlap, that is a product-led business. That is a business that can actually make this work. So uh, back to your, your first question, Daniel, regarding like, why do I not see it work? Because all the people focus so much time on just the front end, but they don't actually integrate the rest of the team. And it changes your strategy. It changes um, like your, your overall model, your, your pricing, your kind of overall approach of like, how do you prioritize data? What experiments do you launch? Who do you hire on your team? So um, those are all very important things you got to kind of consider when you look at this. Mm. So tell us a little bit more about your product-led organization and what that means. It sounds like that's where people go wrong, like in the back end of this exercise. Like, what do they need to think of or where do they go wrong normally here? Yeah. So a lot of times when it comes to like the very first thing I see a lot of companies unclear about is they're like, I'm not sure if I should be product led. And you know what? I think this is a great idea. I've heard on blogs, there's really good, you know, metrics and stuff that I can scale more efficiently. My board is telling me to do it. <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's those things that my least favorite probably is like, oh, and we'll get more funding if we say we're product led. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> there's, there's all those reasons that kind of go into it. Um, but the very first one is like, is your vision and strategy in alignment with being product led? So, um, an example of my favorite kind of vision uh, is from like Canva. It's like, okay, we want to help anybody become or help anyone design anything. And so it's very kind of clear, like with that kind of vision, how are you going to get their best? And if you had a product-led approach, would that help you? It's like a resounding, hell yes. Uh, there, there is no other like way you could probably do that that well. Uh, now, a sales-led approach in that vision, does that fit or resonate helping anyone? It's like, well, if somebody couldn't afford it, no, we couldn't make that model work. Uh, so you got to start off with the, like, what is your, your vision for this business? Uh, because this is not just a simple like free trial, free model. It's like, how does it connect to that? And then the second piece is like your overall strategy. Yeah. How are you going to win as a business? So I talk to a lot of people in like product management and stuff like that. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. Product strategy is great. But like, what is your company level strategy? And I find Nine times out of 10, most companies just don't have one. They have very clear goals, rocks, OKRs, 
<laughs> but they miss the big picture here, which is how are we going to win as a business? Do we have like two or three core ways of how we're going to win? Are we going to build a moat around like uh, user and customer experience as an example right. and make it extremely easy to, to do this in our software? Uh, is it like some other mode? But having that at the very beginning is is the first part of that, like product-led organization sync up with PLG because it's like, you know what, after I go through that, building your vision and strategy, if at the end of it, we're like, honestly, <laughs> you could do this with a sales on motion. It's like power to you. But like if your goal is like, let's say, make it super accessible, easy to use uh, and make it the simplest to kind of do whatever you're doing. It's like your product-led approach is going to like serve that way better than anything else. Mm. So did I understand you correctly that a company can essentially go and look at their vision statement and then basically based on that qualify or disqualify themselves to go all on PLG? It... You might not be like immediately that obvious. Sometimes it should be if it's a good vision. I think like a lot of um, the whole kind of goal of a great vision is like it should give you a ton of clarity as far as like, hey, this is our North Star. Uh, let, let's go in this direction. Now, if it's a bit more vague, maybe you need to clarify that vision a bit more um, until you do get that clarity. And because then it's just a matter of like asking yourself what would be required to, to make that vision true. And it's like, well, let's work backwards. <laughs> What's the best way to do that? As an example for us, um, like the second step after your vision is your your mission. And like part of what we want to do at Product Led is we want to empower 10,000 plus companies to adopt like a product led motion. And so we were just having a call earlier about like, oh, should we take on these like high profile advisors and scale up with that? Uh, and I'm like, if you even like pay these advisors, we would have to have like a really high uh, hourly rate to make the business work. We'd also have to charge a lot. I was like, we'd probably end up with like a hundred really great customers and we could build a great business on that. But that doesn't fall in alignment with helping 10,000 people in their companies to scale this up. So it's like, hey, yeah, it doesn't fit. Um, but that's okay. We have clarity now. All right. And and how do you need to adjust your strategy and what sort of, um, where can you fail in that process? I think the the biggest thing, uh, like part of the strategy, uh, the questions, I the first one is like, are you clear on what is winning look like? So like, what does that look like for your business? It can be like number one in what category or number one in doing a specific thing really, really well. Uh, so if you're not clear on that, that'll just leave things very vague as far as which directions do you go, what kind of products do you build? Um, but then the second piece is where will you play? This one's really, really good. Uh, because if you're not clear about that, then it's like, well, it's kind of like playing uh, board games. It's like, oh, I'm going to play all the board games. And then they're like, well, if a competitor or somebody else is like really good at this one board game, like for instance, for me, I don't play much board games, but I'm like, if you play me at Catan, I'm going to win. <laughs> I love Catan. <laughs> it's like a fun strategy game. So uh, yeah, that's like getting super clear on that. Um, whereas a lot of startups, they try and just like focus on too many areas. And then it's like they're too spread thin. They're trying to do too much. Um, and they're focusing on too many different ideal uh, buyers and then that takes them in a very different direction because they don't actually have anybody who's like a raving fan they just have a lot of people are like yeah this product's okay kind of thing so that's kind of the big one so where do i start 
with my work, internal work. So if, if we exclude the, the front-facing activities and we say, like, okay, we're going to do this, we're going to do this right, I'm going to implement a bunch of workshops, like what are the things that I need to like tackle? Which decisions are key for us to start with? Yeah, so um, this is where it always starts with the vision. Like for your product organization, that's the easiest part. Um, step one, that is it. Um, the step, second step, once you kind of get super clear on that, that is getting super clear on who is your ideal user profile. Uh, what does that look like? It's, it's different than your ideal buyer in like a sales tech company because your ideal user is like, yeah, it's the person using the product. Fancy that. Um, why is that super important? It's because at the end of the day, if the person who uses it for the first time, like they don't get the value, they're not coming back. <laughs> like 60% of people who sign up for these free apps uh, that don't get the value, they, they just don't bother coming back a second time. So it's like this bloodbath. If you don't understand that person really well, it can't help them very well. Uh, so that's kind of the, the big piece is like, do you know what user success is? Um, do you know, like all the kind of main challenges, not just in your product, but like outside of it, uh, as an example, uh, one of our clients, their time tracking solution. So like setting up time tracking is pretty straightforward, but their ideal user is the founder and CEO, but like their actually biggest bottleneck is like employee adoption of this thing, because the, they're thinking about like, is my boss going to watch everything I do on my computer? Uh, like, what else is this software going to do? Is this actually going to be helpful for me? Or is this just so my boss can, like, better control me? Uh, so <laughs> there's always somebody that has challenges. But the better you know that, the better you can actually proactively kind of address some of those things. And, and did, did you have a solution for that uh, in that case? Yeah. Uh, it's going through, like, how is this actually going to be helpful for the the employee, like what's in it for them. And we kind of built out a list like, hey, uh, can you sign up because you're going to be able to do like these specific things. Uh, it's going to help you understand like how much uh, vacation time you have and like all the kind of benefits they care about. Um, we just emphasize those a lot more. And then to the CEO, it's like, well, you're going to get good reporting. <laughs> but is that something that you as an end user that need to do time reporting, do you get those insights sort of within the product or is that something that needs to be communicated, you know, that now we've chosen this software, this is the benefit for you, like in an email. Yeah. Uh, so that would mostly be like from the initial email on the onboarding approach for those employees, because like that's how they kind of get first brought into the product. But uh, yeah, you could do it other way if they found you on like the website uh, somehow. But yeah, typically email. All right. Yeah, because all of these components, I mean, even if it's an onboarding email and so on, are all a part of the full experience, right? Totally. Yeah, definitely. So I have a question, Wes, here. Um, when you're making this transition, I, I've never been part of it myself, so I, so I wouldn't know. So I'm asking genuine curiosity here. Yeah. Like, do you see that normally it also requires a change or an adjustment in the organization, you know, reporting lines, hierarchy, um, I guess I'm asking here is that, you know, can a traditional sales-led or marketing-led company be like, okay, now we're going to do the PLG ones. We're just going to keep the same functions and structures. We just have a different motion. Or do they need to bring in another type of structure, another type of skill set? Yeah, absolutely. So such a good question. And like almost always it's, yeah, 
you, you got to change those things. So you can add growth to your title. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hire head of growth, solve that problem. That's also another yeah, yeah. problem <laughs> I've seen. Um, but back to the, the strategy piece, there's like, okay, what does winning look like for your business? Clear on that. The second piece is like, where will we play? Um, the third one is how are we going to win as a business? Getting clear on those modes. The fourth question is what are the capabilities we need to have? The capabilities we must have to win. Yeah. That's where it gets interesting because it should tie into how you're going to win, which is like, oh, yeah, let's say, for instance, it's like user and customer experience is like one of our moats we're going to build as a business. We're going to be the easiest to use solution, actually, not just have the, you know, fancy uh, value prop that says that, but actually deliver on it. And so that is like, what is the capability there? It's like, okay, maybe let's break it down into like a couple of pieces. Like one of them is like user experience. We've got to be really great at that. Okay, let's pull up our org chart. What does that look like? And then you start to see, okay, we need like these four or five kind of core capabilities. Do we have that? And is it world-class? Is it the best of the best? Now, a lot of times when companies make this transition, they're like, oh yeah, we had this uh, junior person, um, you know, just out of like high school and not <laughs> disgracing anybody who's <laughs> doing that. They could be amazing, but it's like, okay, is that going to be the person that is going to take this to a world-class standard? Yeah. Uh, and sometimes it is. Like, it could be just this crazy, awesome kid that is just brilliant. Uh, and I, I hope that's your case whenever you're kind of going through your org structure. So in this case, this kid, what are he or she supposed to do? <laughs> yeah. So as the CEO and like leadership team, when you're going through this activity, you'll have to make hard choices of like, actually, we don't need that capability. And sometimes it's like, it's as tough as that, where it's like, we are really great at these specific things. Like as a sales company, this is why that transition is hard because you have built up a ton of muscle and capability around the current way you sell. Exactly. And that's fine. You got to like still have that, support that uh, for like your core products for the time being. But then it's like, okay, it's like somebody you see at the gym where it's like, they're just like top heavy and it's like, you got to do legs. <laughs> but, but in practicality, you talk about these uh, capabilities. So what would be capabilities here and what kind of sort of um, expertise do you need in order to be best in class? Yeah. So that all is kind of custom based on like, how are you going to win? Like, is it user uh, like almost, okay, maybe let's just pick one. Uh, because like when I go through this activity with clients, it's almost always like, you have like one of your how to win strategies is user customer experience. The other two are kind of like, it's all over the place, but at least you have that as far as like how you're going to win. So in that case, it's really looking at, do we have that? Can we deliver on that as far as like a really compelling way of how we're going to win? Um, one of the, my favorite examples too, just to kind of like take it out to another company that like everybody knows, um, Apple, like we, we all kind of look at Apple as like, oh yeah, they've done something right. Their strategy like I was re-listening to uh, Steve Jobs' like uh, biography, and I was like, "Man, it's the simplest thing. It's like vertical integration. We control everything, mm. <laughs> and we make sure everything talks to each other really well. It's an ecosystem. So it's like it, it's the simplest how to win strategy. Mm. But to follow through on that, they built some really great capabilities to make sure cross, you know, browser collaboration, all that stuff kind of is seamless cross device stuff is is seamless. Um, so 
back to your question of like what capabilities would you need uh it would be heavily dependent on like how are we going to lean into that user customer experience um, and sometimes that's like maybe we need onboarding coaches maybe we need uh really good data infrastructure to kind of like understand where are people dropping off uh but it's just working backwards from like how would we make that like a core kind of strength for our business yeah mm. i also have another observation and please tell me if i'm completely wrong here uh, I, I think or I'm imagining at least one of the difficult shifts here is that how many companies have, for better or worse, yeah. uh, it is the people that are closest to the customers, the the go-to-market folks, they have somehow been dictating the agenda for the entire business. Yeah. And then when you make this shift, suddenly product is not just at the forefront, it is at the center of everything this company does which shifts the dynamics a little bit and suddenly your your CRO is on a piece of paper as important as your CPO or CTO. Yeah. But maybe the dynamic changes there a little bit and I think some companies, at least in my opinion, has had maybe a difficulty making that adjustments, how, you know, mm-hmm. who dictates the rules a little bit is now a different person. Totally. Yeah, um, there, there is going to be those like power changes, structures, uh, especially if you're going from like sales to product that that's part of the reason why it's really hard yeah. <laughs> to, to do it. And very few companies are willing to kind of make that big shift. Um, what I do find a lot is like Suedo alignment, like, oh, yeah, we'll do PLG. Yeah. Like everybody's like, this seems like a good idea. But then it's kind of like uh, New Year's resolutions where it's like, oh, yeah. I want to like start a new diet. Uh, oh yeah. Like I want to like work out. And then there's like, you lack the follow through, honey. <laughs> it's like, you didn't even try. Uh, like, okay, let's, let's get back to the basics here. Uh, and why it's like a lot of it is back to kind of, um, this system where it's like, you, you just didn't know where to get started and you didn't realize this was bigger than you thought. You just focused on the front end. And then when you tried it, you rolled it out, you launched it so quickly, you didn't have the back end to follow it up and it just didn't work. And so now you're like, well, let's just stick to the sales that thing because it, we know it, it's safer uh, and we'll, we'll go with that. Exactly. PR and communication are the keys to building awareness for your company. You want to make sure you reach the right people with the right message at the right time. My News Desk is a smart PR platform where you can manage all your communication efforts in one place. My News Desk makes it easier for companies of all sizes to create awareness and build relations with the people that matter the most to you. Don't make PR harder than it needs to be. Visit mynewsdesk.com to start your free trial. Right. So... Could you discuss the role of product design and user experience in PLG or um, how lack of focus on these elements could cause a PLG motion to fail? Yeah. So like one of the three uh, core tenants of like building a product that organization is how you sell is just as important as what you sell. And so what I mean by that is if you look at like a standard sales led or actually before I get into that part, if you think about like in general, like with the introduction of like product-led growth, what has changed? Like have the fundamentals of business changed? Uh, I would say no, they they haven't changed. If you really oversimplify this, there's really like three big things, fundamental kind of growth pillars. There's like acquisition, 
you got to get people to your website, find out about you. Um, that hasn't changed. There's monetization. It's like, you got to figure out how to make a customer. That's yeah. <laughs> any business. And then the third piece is like engagement. You got to like actually deliver on your value, create a uh, awesome experience for people to, to kind of get to that outcome that you promised them. So that hasn't changed. When you look at a sales at company, it goes like acquisition, monetization, engagement. That's pretty straightforward. Now, when it goes to your product-led company and back to your question about product design, user experience, why it's so important, it really comes down to this piece, which is it's acquisition for a product-led company, then it's engagement, and then it's all about monetization. And the reason why that like product design, user experience is so important is really just because when you look at it through that lens, if you don't engage people well, it doesn't work. Right. And that's actually part of the, I see where a lot of companies fail, where it's like, oh yeah, we have a free trial. We've, we've checked the box. We are product-led. And then I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> you can have a free trial, free model, I don't care, and still be very sales-led. Right. And what that experience looks like is you sign up for it as like, oh yeah, talk to us. Or um, you get into the product, it's like, Boom, they just drop you into the dashboard. There's no support, no help whatsoever. And you're like, and figure it out on your own. Yeah. And, and then you get like a bombarded with a lot of like sales ad messages about like, oh, yeah, yeah exactly. I, I love people that use uh, the, the free trial as a Trojan horse. As soon as you get in there, there's somebody calling you or sending you a message, let's buy now, basically. Yeah, but if you turn that around, I mean, as a company, let's say that you suddenly you have this free offering or so, and you haven't had that before. Uh, and suddenly you get thousands of users using your free solution that also expects you know a, a good uh, a good experience they expect some level of support yeah. uh, they will reach out to you and maybe you're not prepared to you know take care of all these you could say um unprofitable clients that you suddenly have yeah Though that's uh, one of the biggest risks too. Like if you do make it work, how do you support that? Yeah. Um, and like the third component of the product of that system is all about like your model. So like there is ways to, to kind of mitigate those risks. If you really understand your user, that ideal journey, uh, like the way we structured is uh, deciding like what to give away for free is we always talk a lot about what is like the first kind of meaningful milestone that somebody could kind of achieve in your product. And I don't like give a rat's ass about like, <laughs> what do you give away for free? Uh, or not so much that it's like, what is the model? Like, is it a reverse free trial? Is it like a freemium model? Is it a, free, a like free trial? Um, that stuff doesn't matter. It's all about like, what is the the meaningful outcome that somebody could achieve um, in this product? And like, let's just work backwards. So we decide all that, what that looks like. And then what that enables people to do is you can cap, like, what do we give away for free? We're not giving away the really uh, expensive, hard to kind of set up features uh because that costs you money as a business and you can give away the like really easy to use uh stuff that anybody could figure out and you can kind of mitigate a lot of those risks so you're not kind of exposed uh, that's really interesting and every time i say that i i smile and laugh a little bit because thomas here bullies me because apparently i say that's really interesting a lot i, I, I can't help <laughs> it we can have a drinking game uh, around that yeah, yeah. I, I i can't help it a lot a lot of people i meet are really interesting so this is very interesting the conversation here uh talk to us a little bit what you have seen in terms of what people are again accustomed to how they used to measure success yeah. 
versus maybe how that might or needs to change, how they will measure success going forward once they're like PLG 100%? Yeah. Uh, so the very first thing that you would need to change if you are going to make this transition successfully is understand like what percentage of people who actually sign up for free got the value. So almost always, uh, people will know like, okay, what number of people signed up for free, like number of signups and then number of people paying, but they miss that middle piece. <laughs> and that middle piece is like the most important in a product led motion. Because like, if I asked you like, Hey, like what did you guys do the last time you, you signed up for an app and you didn't get the value or like you couldn't figure it out or the signup process was too long. Like serious question. What did you do? I couldn't run fast enough to the unsubscribe button because I felt I couldn't figure it out, but I'm still getting emails. Hey, you're not in here and this and that. And I, the, my only worry was like, how do I get out of this? Honestly, like, you know, totally. uh, like I, I've given them my time and I couldn't figure it out. It's probably more on me, but still, I wanted just to not hear from them again because I, it's a little bit of been there. Didn't accomplish what I needed to do. I'm, I've moved on. Yeah, really. And in some cases, you're also trying a few solutions out, right? I'm looking for an online video editor and I might sign up for two or three and, and see what they are like. And yeah, and uh, could be small things that that makes you stay with a, a solution. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I think if you have the right model, like you decided what you wanted to give away for free, uh, that was really well. Um, that can actually help too. Like you might be a bit more motivated if let's say it's a freemium model versus free trial to set something up because you're like, I can use this forever. Uh, that's pretty powerful. So like there is some things when it comes to the model, regardless of your onboarding and approach um, that can help there. But like most times still, uh, if you can't get to the value, it's like, it, it just won't work. So that's like the biggest thing when it comes to the measurement, uh, get really specific on that. And really make sure you have the right accountability in place. So like I just bring it back to like first principles, like is somebody in charge for that? <laughs> is that team in charge for that metric? Um, and because it's like in a sales led kind of funnel, it's like it absolutely we track every single one of those steps. We know, you know, what percentage from like meetings to like a uh, number of people who dropped off, didn't show uh, to people who were like actually close one, close last. Why did they do all that stuff? It's like, just take that same level of granularity, apply it to your product-led motion for each of these steps. And don't forget that messy middle of like, how did they get to value? And then if you don't uh, get a lot of people getting to value, it's like really just break it down. <laughs> Where are they getting stuck? Why are they getting stuck? Um, and don't just think about, back to that time tracking example, don't just consider like the product stuff because there, there could be something outside of the product that is actually blocking them. Maybe it's something they don't know. They don't know why this is important. Or um, there's definitely big obstacles when it comes to adoption that are just outside of your product's control, but you, you could actually help them with maybe it's a PDF or something to get their team on board, or I don't know. Um, that's just kind of my overall analysis on what do you change when it comes to measurement? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm looking down here in, in our DMs and we had some questions come in, lots of questions actually. From, from folks and I want to shoot some of those your way you touched upon some of them a little bit but let's see if we can pin down the answer here a little bit so number one what roles or people must be part of a PLG team so if you're making this transition if you would say like these three people you need to have them yeah such a good question uh, so I think like the, the obvious one that you obviously have to have is like you got to have some engineer yeah. <laughs> 
to make this thing <laughs> or launch whatever this is. Right. Um, and when it comes to the second kind of person, you really need somebody who is like design, user experience, kind of savvy. They're able to uh, kind of work with users to understand like how to simplify that journey and make it easier to use. Um, that's really important. And then if we're looking at the kind of like next person, this one would probably be like customer success in a way, but not your traditional customer success, like just looking after customers, but it's like user success as well. They go through like if people sign up, they're reaching out, they're proactively kind of finding like, hey, like you got stuck at this step. Uh, you're like halfway there. Can I help you set up the rest of your account? Like <clears throat> I'll do it, uh, book a time and we'll, we'll make this work. So that's like an example of, yeah, if you had those three, you have that kind of like really helpful user success person that's uh, understanding like where do people get blocked? How can I better help them? And then they're really feeding a lot of intel to that designer UX person where they're like, hey, like, listen, like people are getting stuck over the stupid thing, the stupid bug. <laughs> Fix the stupid bug. Yeah. <laughs> cut it out uh, or like streamline this process. And then you just have the engineer to execute. So like if I was to boil it down to like the simplest, simplest, if it was just those three people, uh, you can make some serious damage in a good way yep. uh, with those three people. Great answers. And Martin, thank you so much uh, for, for uh, coming in with that questions. I know you guys are doing some really cool stuff over there at the Oxid. Hopefully Wes's answer here helps you guys out as well. And, and another question around that, um, for what should you hire an external PG consultant or agency and what should you manage internally? Yeah, so good question. As uh, I was a previous consultant, now I would consider myself more a coach. I can touch actually on this one a lot and it's not going to be the answer you probably think. So when it comes to building this in your organization, the way you got to think about building a product organization is it's its own capability. <laughs> How meta. <laughs> so when we talk about like the capabilities you need, you need to have a product-led capability as a business. So like the whole way we kind of approach it as well, and this is regardless if you decide to like go with us a product-led or just do this on your own, is it needs to be cross-collaborative. You have to get everybody on the same page. Everybody who's like from the CEO to your go-to-market leadership team, you got to kind of go through these activities together with your vision, your strategy, understanding your user, your model, then your offer, your overall experience, your pricing, your data, your process of like how you launch experiments, and then finally your team part. So like you got to do those nine things together. Um, and the reason why is, is it's just going to be so much more valuable for you whenever you're able to kind of like get that cross collaborative alignment. So um, when you're thinking about that, make sure you're, you're actually going to be building this as a capability inside your business. And what I find uh, a lot of consultants don't do is like, they just, here's the plan. Um, yeah, we worked a little bit together on it, but it just meets up with a lot of resistance. And it kind of goes back to the very opening of this is even most consultants, they think PLG is just PLG. Right. They don't know the back end. <laughs> <laughs> they, they just know from their maybe successful, like big tech company, they're like, oh yeah, PLG worked like this, but they didn't think about all the other back end stuff of like, you know, what we had going to support this. Um, so that's some of the things to kind of be worried about uh, and think about if you're hiring a consultant. Okay. And another question that I don't know how many times we've we've heard this in our forums, and I, I think we're starting to see a shift because at one point, at least in my opinion, that's how I observed it. 
it was 100% PLG or no PLG at all. Now we see that there is a, a greater acceptance for PLG existing with another motion, whether it's marketing-led or sales-led. Like, how do you see PLG combined with some of the other motions? How do you make that actually work without like creating a bunch of chaos and conflict? Yeah, so <laughs> I think this is my hunch, but a lot of companies that are like, oh yeah, we're doing product-led sales, it's usually a sales-led business that doesn't have a very successful product-led business that's like, we just need to get better info about like, what are people doing in our product to feed it to Salesforce uh, and go through our same like existing sales process. So I'm kind of like privy to like product-led sales in, it can work. Uh, I just think a lot of companies don't execute it right. Where I kind of think about this hybrid approach and where I've seen it work best is if you have a successful product-led motion, it will naturally lead to a very successful product-led sales motion at scale. So, but like get to your first like at least three, five kind of mil in like product-led motion, get that solid base and it will definitely feed you uh, and your sales team with those like high intense uh, accounts when you're ready to kind of lean into it and, and grow some of those bigger accounts. So um, that's typically the approach like I would recommend if you're going to go that hybrid approach. Um, with that said, I have seen it work somewhat uh, with companies where they're like, okay, we just have a freemium model. You can sign up for, for free. There's no onboarding whatsoever. But like, if you want to purchase, you got to reach out to us in sales. Uh, talk to us. So it you, you can build uh, great businesses like that that are big. But um, I think it still kind of misses the point of how do we make this journey really straightforward and easy for you? And I think every time you have that kind of approach, you're like, oh, yeah, you, you have to reach out to us to kind of make this work. It is... Just adding friction, I think of it like a ladder. Like, how do we make this like kind of baby steps? One step to the next step. It's like, what's the first plan I could sign up for that's easy? Right. Um, that's that's going to be the, the self-serve motion, ideally. Uh, but then as you grow these accounts, then that's the name of the, the game for product-led. It's like, how do I grow you into potentially even like a six or seven-figure kind of contract? Um, and there's times and ways where it's like it does make sense for sales to kind of like accelerate that and actually help some of these champions to kind of make that case to their business. All right. Yeah, so we have touched upon uh, many different aspects here on where you can go wrong and what you think about. But if you would highlight the top three worst things <laughs> that you can do, the, the the biggest, you know, mistakes, what would that be? And number one needs to be the worst. Ooh. I don't know if we can take it, you know, and end and with the very worst, if you can take it three, two, one. Yeah. All right. So the three worst things you could do to, to launch a PLG motion. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think the obvious one and the mistake I made quite a bit is just just launch the free trial. Like just uh, just do it. Don't have any support whatsoever on like the onboarding. Um, don't kind of change anything internally inside the business. Like don't build that back end. Just just go full force on it. Um, that's that's definitely gonna work. <laughs> okay, let's up up the game. Which is worse? Sarcastic comment. <laughs> um, all right. So the first one was that the second would probably have to be around like focus. Don't get specific on like which uh, user you're gonna like prioritize and help. Uh, actually, focus on your ideal buyer because your buyer uh, is gonna be the one using this product. 
the reason I say that is because like your your buyers, not usually the person who's going to be signing up for that free trial or free model. It's going to be a different person. So you got to know who that is uh, because their needs are different and you got to support them. Right. The third thing is just copy what your competition did for whatever they're giving away for free. So if they're giving away a 14-day free trial, do 15. Uh, if- <laughs> you heard it here first. Yeah, great tactics. <laughs> One seat, give away two. Yeah. Uh, just one of them, just a little bit, uh, yeah. because they probably have a great strategy around what they decided to give away for free. So um, I think that's the, the most common one. Okay. <laughs> so w- which company, in your opinion, is a PLG organization that is to look at with admiration and why? That you should copy. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, there's so many great examples. The like overused ones are probably like, you know, the Slacks or Miros or like, oh, yeah, we, we've used them. We all love them. My favorite is definitely Canva. It's more of a, the B2C example, but they have a B2B motion that's that's working really well. Uh, so those ones are like immediately kind of come to mind as far as like great models. But to be honest, like the companies I work with, they're all kind of like six, seven, and like some are kind of upping, getting close to the eight figure mark. But like, I love the businesses that are up and coming. Like they're just kind of getting this stuff working. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you don't know about them yet. <laughs> <laughs> you want to enclose one company that you have worked with or so that you think you should really check this, these out. They're great. Yeah. Um, I mean, like one client we had, they've done some cool things uh, with like their onboarding approach and pushed the level on it is Enzuzo. Uh, they're like a privacy kind of like, you know, one of those like privacy pop-ups, like, are you GDRP compliant, whatever. Yeah. But they they made the onboarding really fun where it's like, I, and I see this actually as one of the, the up and coming trends. If you're building a product or organization, like back to that engagement piece, if you can push that further and further up to the point where it's like you... Um, just like you go to the website, it's already the free kind of thing. You can experience it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's cool. So in that case, they're able to like design what that would look like before even signing up. And they're like, by that point, you're like, oh, this looks good. I, of course, want to use this product. Um, yeah. So that's fun. Example. Cool. Yeah. Check it out if you manage to spell it. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but Wes, uh, what in your mind is the future of PLG? What will we see the upcoming years here? Yeah, so the future of PLG is not PLG. It's building a product-led organization, okay, which has PLG in it. Back to the very beginning, it's like there's your front end, PLG, your back end, product-led organization, and in between the center is building that product-led uh, business. So that's really what I see is like thinking about it is not just PLG is the be-all, end-all. It's like that's just the front end. That's play one, uh, but you got to have all these other components. Okay, great. So, I mean, you're in contact with many, you know, companies and other thought leaders within this space. Is there anyone that you would recommend us to try to get on the show? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we co-authored a book together, but uh, Bramley John, yeah. who wrote Product and Onboarding, would be kind of a nice extension of this topic because one of the things we we identified is like, you know what, if you are really bad at onboarding, <laughs> you can't get people to value, that whole engagement piece we were talking about doesn't work. So uh, yeah, Randy John has some great perspectives on that. All right. Thank you for that. Excellent. And this was so great to have you on the show here. And I know that we're going to have another opportunity not too far ahead here because you're coming to Sassiest in Malmö to drop some serious knowledge and potentially also do some workshop exercises with whomever is interested in PLG and is 
you know, not just PLG, but building a proper product-led organization. You're going to be there and answer all their questions, right? Totally. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> With that, thank you so much, Wes, and uh, see you soon again. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Take care now. So, Daniel, what did you think was very interesting today? <laughs> Funny, buddy. Funny. I'm going to have to think about what you say a lot. <laughs> pinball, pinball. Uh, actually, I'm going to give you, I feel generous today. I'm going to give you the chance to go first because I think there's one really big, obvious one, which I think you're going to go for. Okay. But I think the, the very obvious one is that uh, don't just think about the front end and, uh, you know, how to just get people signed up on a free offering or so. You need to have the support behind it, which is a lot of stuff, uh, both when it comes to the organization and how you can uh, support that customer experience that you have set up. So uh, really think through what you're doing and make sure that it aligns with your vision and that you have the, the right means of execution as well. That was the obvious one, and then you took the vision one as well. Like you're putting me in a, in a <laughs> difficult spot here. All right. Another thing that I think is uh, probably underestimated is that you got to be super clear as to who you're interacting with on the customer side. Uh, he alluded to that as you know, it's it's one person that maybe will foot the bill here. Somebody will pay for this. But it's maybe it's not the same person that will actually be using the product that will interact with it first. So like really understand how the people that will interact with your product, how they can get to quick value, to a lot of value in order for this to be, I guess, you know, pushed up the, the value chain and make sure that they can spread this up. So I thought that was, you know, a nice reminder to us all. Understand who your audience is. A good one. And I'm really looking forward to SASIS 2024. We will have Wes there and we will also have Elena Verna. So we have a lot of focus on PLG for everyone that is interested in that. And uh, what else? Well, um, if you're not a member of the Slack community, you should head over to SASIS.com and under community, you have you can apply for the Slack community. It's open for anyone working in B2B SaaS here in the European continent. And uh, also, as Daniel said in the beginning, we have the CEO network, executive network, and female founders network as well that you can apply to. Uh, so with that, uh, looking forward to interact with you in different ways. And we are back soon in a few days with another episode of the SaaS podcast. See you soon.